What's up, everybody? I want to welcome you here to another episode of the Space News Live podcast. We're streaming live right now from the Helsinki, Finland area. As I always say, there's no edits here. This is a live recorded podcast. What you hear is what you get. My name is Rob. I'll be your host this e- well, it's evening here. It's afternoon on the East Coast. Today's date is November 21st. 2017. I want to welcome everybody listening live right now on spacenewslive.com and twitch.tv hosting the live stream. What's up everybody? Sorry, I got a little bit of a late start there, you know, just had kind of a, a mad rush, you know, when you're living overseas, your family likes to keep in touch with you and everything and uh, kind of just threw off a little bit of the planning for this, but hey, we got a, I'd say it's a fairly, fairly uh, on-time start. Anyways, it's it's like 9.02 p.m., 2.02 on the East Coast. Anyways, not a big deal. We are um, we are uh, live, of course, so... Um, that kind of stuff just happens, right? You know, you just kind of roll with it. But um, we do have a good show right here for you. Lots of uh, good news. Lots of good things happening over um, at NASA, SpaceX, the uh, space station. All, all of our favorite friends that we keep uh, in touch with and and up to date with. Um, so we'll start it off right now um, with a launch that... Uh, you know, kept getting delayed and, and finally, you know, we weren't really sure at one point NASA even wasn't sure when this launch was going to happen on their uh, projected uh, launch schedule. It was just like, you know, it'll happen no sooner than this date, but we don't really know when it's going to launch. So anyways, the JPSS-1 weather satellite did launch. Um, so we're really happy about that. NASA successfully launched the JPSS-1 or also known as the Joint Polar Satellite System 1, was launched on board a United Launch Alliance Delta II rocket from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. It launched at 1.47 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Saturday, November 18th, which is also like, what, around 4.47 in the morning Eastern Time? Probably not many people were up to watch that, but, you know, that's okay. That's what replays are for. The launch was delayed several times, as you as we've talked about, but finally got off the ground. The launch was, was for the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. You might know what that is. Better known as NOAA. A lot of y'all have heard NOAA, but nobody knows what the acronym really stands for. Well, there you go. It was the uh, first of four highly advanced polar orbiting satellites that are going up into space. These satellites are actually equipped with the... Sorry, a little minor edit, as I often do. I find these... I can read it a hundred times, but I don't find the edit until... Or the problem with the show notes until I'm actually live, right? Anyways, these satellites are equipped with the uh, next generation, they're calling it the next generation technology, and it's uh, designed to improve the accuracy of the uh, United States weather forecast, right? Um, It's pretty accurate now, but it's going to be even more accurate all the way out to seven days now with these new, once they get all the satellites up and running, right? Um, So right now we're good for like two to three, we're pretty accurate. 
past that, you start losing accuracy, right? Well, they're saying when they get all these next generation satellites with the next generation technology and sensors, they're going to be good up to seven days. So we'll see how that goes. Um, they're saying that about, uh, well, just a little bit about the launch of the JPSS-1 satellite. About 63 minutes after launch, the solar arrays deployed and started powering the spacecraft. It was operating on its own power just a little over an hour after launch. The satellite uh, will soon be um, renamed uh, when it reaches its final orbit. Uh, they're slowly adjusting the orbit. They're going to complete some testing that has to be done before it's renamed. They will go. It'll go through a variety of checkout procedures, validation tests of its five advanced instruments, um, which we were talking about. It'll be uh, all this will be conducted over a three-month time frame. Eventually, after three months, they move it into the right orbit test the five uh, sensors um, rather extensively, then they will uh, put it in an operational status and it will be renamed NOAA 20 will be uh, what it's called. If you're one of those people that like to track satellites, uh, look at the, the live uh, orbits and all that um, kind of stuff online, uh, eventually you'll be able to uh, tag it as NOAA 20 is what it'll be called. And then um, from then on, that's what it'll be, uh, it will be the name. If you want to check out more about this satellite and the launch and all the uh, special instruments and what its capabilities are, you can look over on nasa.gov. I've got a link in the show notes, which will be up on spacenewslive.com shortly following this broadcast. With all the talk of the private companies promoting space travel, we're all about trying to get the common man into space. We want to make tourism space travel a and routine thing, just like flying on an airplane. Well, there needs to be for space. There's a need for space suits, right? You got to be able to um, have oxygen and protection. And you know, going to space is is not a, a smooth process, really. It's it's kind of a, a a rough you know thing. You know, so we need protection. We need uh, air supply and things like that. And when you're in space, you got to be able to um, perform tasks um, just like you can on Earth. And it's very difficult with the big bulky gloves and all that. Well, there is a company that is tackling all these um, challenges. Um, the, there's a company called Final Frontier Design. They're, and they just recently put their spacesuit into that they've designed into their third round of Canadian flight testing. The goal, like we talked about, is eventually being outfitted for space tourists on their flights. Uh, the suit is called the 3G, let me say this again, 3G Intravehicular Activity Suit. And it has flown on board three Falcon 20 jets uh, over Ottawa, Canada. And each of those Falcon 20 jet flights uh, consisted of 18 parabolas, to simulate microgravity, which, you know, astronauts have been using to train in, uh, like, the Vomit Comet for years. Um, so, in each parabola, uh, gives a few seconds of weightlessness. So, they, they use this time to test the functionality of the spacesuit. This was the first visor down uh, testing, they're, they're calling it, with the full visor sealed um, in... in with its own air supply and everything, just as it would be on a real mission. So this is like the closest they've had to a real test 
of their spacesuit. Uh, the test subjects were also tested th with their ability to work uh, various switches and control panels and uh, typing on a, a laptop keyboard and all these different, you know, uh, tasks that they must do uh, while in space, right? While wearing their gloves and their spacesuit and, you know, being able to move around. The company is also working to develop, uh, you know, other ideas to improve uh, things on, for space flight and make it more enjoyable for tourists. Because if you're paying as a tourist to go on these flights, you you want it to be as enjoyable as possible because it's not cheap, right? You don't want to, you know, be miserable the whole time and think, why the heck did I do this? What was the uh, point in spending thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this? Because hopefully they're going to bring that cost down eventually, but especially at first, you're going to really, so, you know, it's good that they're, they're putting a lot of time and effort into uh, research and development uh, for these things. They're studying things such as cloud and climate change, um, to help with the flights, space, space sickness, which was a huge thing. It's, it's still a huge thing. It was really started, they talked about it uh, uh, during the Apollo missions. It's still talked about, if you pay attention closely to the, the folks going on the space station, you know, new people, when they arrive on the space station, they really get uh, sick. They get disorientated, they feel nauseous, and they advise them to keep their head in a vertical position and almost kind of float around in a seated position, if you want. Um, they say that helps because all the different modules are orientated different ways. And one, you'll fly through it and up will actually be the ceiling. The next one up might be to your left or below you. You may have to rotate 180 degrees to where now the seat, what used to be the floor is now the ceiling. You know, and it's it really messes with people's heads. Um, they they get nauseous really bad. So, and they say for the first few days, two to three days, um, is when you feel it the worst. And they tell people as long as you keep your head vertical and fly, you know, you, it'll it, it helps with the uh, the wooziness. So they're they're researching that and seeing what exactly causes it and how it can be fixed. And maybe their spacesuit could even things they could do to help um, reduce the effects. You can check uh, check out more about the company. Again, it's called Final Frontier Design, and you can see a video of, of all their tests on their spacesuit uh, uh, on board uh, the Falcon 20 jet. Um, it's a pretty neat little video just to see all the the tests they're putting it through. They're really trying to do you know a good job here, and um, make sure this is a, a good suit that's going to withstand all the flights of the future. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Show notes. It's over on space.com. Uh, I encourage you to check that out. All right, more developments are being made for the rover heading to Mars in 2020. NASA um, is pressing forward, testing all the uh, the systems that will be needed to get the rover to Mars and on the Martian surface. They successfully completed the unfurl test of the parachute that will carry the next rover to the Martian uh, soil at more than 12 thousand miles per hour that's how fast it'll be going when it enters the martian atmosphere and begins descending onto the surface so you need a pretty hefty parachute to slow it down and gradually uh set it down on the surface and not destroy this really expensive massive rover uh, there's an awesome video you can check out of the test launch of the rocket carrying the parachute now this is just the parachute we're testing uh, the rocket uh, launches up uh, and once it reaches the right altitude, it separates 
and it uh, gets into the right orientation, and then it ejects the parachute at nearly 100 miles per hour, and you're thinking, wow, that's pretty fast. That must not be very much of a video, right? Well, NASA was thinking ahead when they did this. They immediately replay, if you watch the video, they replay the parachute being deployed at the 100 miles per hour, except this time you're looking through at the lens of a high-speed camera recording at 1,000 frames per second. So at 1,000 frames per second, of course, they slow it down to 30 frames per second of what you're looking at, and it you can see this thing really shoot out, and then every fiber, which is what they're looking at, they're, the, the scientists are going to look at every single frame of this video to look at the stress points and how the um, the fibers unfurled and how and you know make sure they're packing it correctly because honestly you got to get it right you you launch this thing it takes like, like six months to get to mars and then you hope you know everything depends on this parachute if the parachute doesn't work you don't have a rover you don't have a mission you just threw millions of dollars down the drain right so the parachute itself is made of nylon, technora, and Kevlar. And you've probably heard of nylon, you've probably heard of Kevlar, but technora's um, a really strong fiber made for strands and everything. It's it's uh, a really, just basically what you need to know, it's, it's a really strong fiber, as is you know Kevlar and nylon as well. So that's why they chose those uh, fibers to make the parachute out of. It's uh, uh, really neat, and it worked flawlessly. Everything worked really well, so they're gonna go back and look at that high-speed footage to make sure everything, you know, it looked good to the naked eye, but did it really look good when you slow it down? So that's what they're gonna um, look at now over the next few weeks, and I'm sure there'll be more tests and more tests of other components to meet the uh, 2020 uh, deadline for the next rover. Check out the link in the show notes for space.com story and uh, read all about it. Ah, oh, excuse me. I gotta take a little pause there. All right, so now that's gonna do it for the the news. The real big news was the launch of the JPSS-1 weather satellite. It finally got off the ground. We talked about the private companies doing the test of the um, the uh, the new spacesuit, and then of course the uh, rover being uh, parachute being tested. But upcoming events that are, uh, you want to mark on your calendar coming up in the near future. Uh, just announced uh, Dece- on December fourth at two fifty three p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is the targeted date and time for the SpaceX launch of the CRS. 13 mission to the International Space Station. SpaceX will be uh, sending a Dragon cargo resupply spacecraft from Launch Complex 40 in Cape Canaveral Air Force Base Station in Florida. Um, This is a routine, uh, I say routine, it's becoming routine, Um, resupply uh, mission. It'll be delivering more supplies and equipment as usual to the station, but it will also be delivering a NASA instrument called the Total and Spectral Solar Irradiance Sensor, or TSIS-1. They didn't give a whole lot of information about what... uh, this sensor, um, you know, really does, um, but I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the future. But it's also going to contain a fiber optic payload, again, probably for communications of some kind, installing maybe it's a future uh, science, you know, project, some com- or network, computer network, 
Um, but we, we, we'll find out more in the future, of course. But um, that's what's going on board the uh, CRS-13 cargo mission to the space station. Again, December 4th at uh, 2.53 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's the targeted date. You know how that goes. It may slip. On December 13th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Space Station Expedition 53 farewells and hatch closure coverage will begin. The coverage begins at 8.30 p.m. Um, the At 11.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and these times have held steady, so it's looking good. Of course, we got a little ways to go. You know, remember, you know, things may slip, but um, 11.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time will be the undocking of the Soyuz MS-05 with the Expedition 53 crew inside. So again, December 13th, 8.30 p.m. is the farewells and hatch closure. 11.45 p.m. is the undocking. Uh, the crew that will be returning to Earth includes Randy Bresnik, Sergei Reznesicki, and Palio Nespoli, um, they will be returning to Earth. December 14th at 2.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is an early one, the landing coverage begins for the Expedition 53 crew landing in Kazakhstan. All right, and also one last thing to mark on your calendars, December 17th at 1 a.m. You know, these are all in Kazakhstan, so it's crazy times on the East Coast, but 1 a.m., the Expedition 54-55 crew um, for the Soyuz MS-07 will be launching, and the coverage begins again at 1 a.m. Eastern Time on December 17th. And that brings us to a segment I didn't get a chance to finish. Again, it's been uh, kind of hect- uh, hectic here. Um, well, it was right before the, <laughs> the show, and I almost delayed it just a touch, but I was like, no, I've got everything together. Um, but I just uh, it's uh, the Today in Space segment. So today, November 21st in space history, and I'm just going to see if I can pull up something kind of cool. Um Let's see, in November 21st, 1964, Explorer 24, looks like, uh, went up, 19, November 21st, 1966, M2 Flight 14, um, the Soyuz L1 begins assembly, November 21st, 1966, in Russia, that's kind of pretty cool, the first flight rocket, serial number 22701, began assembly on 21 November, 1966, with mechanical assembly completed by 29 November. Electrical connections and tests were completed by 4 December 1966. Due to New Year's holidays, work did not resume until 28 January 1967. By 28 February, the fully assembled booster and spacecraft unit was completed in the MIK, including the 7K-L1P boilerplate spacecraft. There you go, some space history. I apologize for the uh, for not really having um, everything together on that. Uh, we'll do better next time, I promise. All right, checking in with the International Space Station crew on social media. On November 16th, astronaut Randy Bresnik posted a tweet showing a time lapse of the crew swapping racks on board the International Space Station. If you catch this, 
it's pretty neat to see them just kind of going 100 miles an hour, of course, over a long period of time, swapping out racks. He, uh, he shows how much easier it is to handle large racks of equipment in microgravity than it is on Earth. He points out that you can move massive objects around like toy blocks. And honestly, you really can. It's really neat to see a single person just tossing a large rack around when it would take several people and probably a dolly or some other equipment, a furniture mover, to do that on Earth. These racks, you know, and if anybody in the IT business, like myself, has ever moved a rack, you know that normally you take the equipment out of the rack because you want it to be as light as possible, right? They don't really do that there because there's no need. One person with one hand can just pick up a rack and move it. Of course, it's very slow. You're not twirling it on your fingers, but you can really move it really easily, which is really neat to see. And normally, if you're going to watch that, it's going to take a very long time because they're really slow in particular, and they read instructions and remove very particular bolts, and you know, the time lapse shows everything in a matter of seconds. Kind of cool. Also, the International Space Station crew have been quiet lately. Um, they haven't really tweeted out a whole lot. So I dug in and checked in with uh, our old friend Jack Fisher. What has he been up to since he, you know, left the space station? He's back on Earth. Well, he's been actually, it turns out, he's been really active on social media. If you follow him, you probably know he's been enjoying traveling around, uh, talking to various groups, mostly in Colorado. In fact, I think nearly all of them have been in Colorado. They've been, he's been talking to him about his time on board the space station. One video that he retweeted uh, was a post by the Children's Hospital in Colorado. Jack was uh, talking to a bunch of kids at the Seacrest Radio Studio. He talked to him about food he missed most while he was in outer space. And as always, he got a good laugh out of the kids with his answer. And what did he say? Well, Jack has always been talking to, oh, oh I've, <laughs> I almost messed up a little bit. Um, actually, the reason I didn't tell you his answer is because he, um, that's going to be our bonus question. So stay tuned. Trust me, I'll come, I'll circle back around to it. Um, what, what did he say that got the kids laughing? Well, you'll find out here real soon. Um, Jack's also been talking to other groups of lucky folks. I wish I was in one of those groups. I used to live in Colorado, and every time I see that he's in Colorado, I'm like, no, I could, I could have been there. Um, but he's been talking to lots of folks, including elementary school, the Louisville Elementary School in Colorado. He's been talking to the Memorial Hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado, the Centaurus High School, Erie High School, and, of course, the Air Force Academy. He had to make a stop there, which is always great. Jack is definitely inspiring lots of folks out there in the Centennial State. Um... What are astronauts on board the International Space, International Space Station doing for Thanksgiving? This is always a question that people ask, and people are wondering, what do they do? Do they even celebrate it? How do they celebrate it? Well, the answer is yes, they do celebrate it. The uh, space station posted a video of the astronauts on board talking about those very activities and what they're planning to do and how they celebrate it and you know, the camaraderie that comes out of the celebration. Uh, they say they've been saving up their pouches of food just for this very day. They've been saving pouches of mashed potatoes, turkey, candied yams, cornbread dressing, apple cider, and many more goodies that they will share amongst the crew to make a special Thanksgiving dinner. 
They talked about how they miss their families. They miss home-cooked meals. That's the number one thing they're going to miss. And it always uh, hits hard around the holidays, of course. They will celebrate, in case you're wondering, they will celebrate together. Uh, All the members on board the space station will celebrate. They will all come together, including the European, the Russian uh, cosmonauts, of course the U.S. astronauts. They will all come together. Um, Apparently what they do is they welcome the Russians over to share the holiday. They teach them about our cultures and our holidays, and the Russians in return do the same thing for us. During their holidays, they invite the Americans over to the Russian side of the house to celebrate their holidays. So it's very cool that it's a a very shared event, a very um, happy time for all people on board. Um, Even, you know, uh, the people that don't celebrate Thanksgiving are really getting into it. So maybe it's something they'll take back home with them to their families for future holidays. That's going to do it for checking in with the space station on social media. And that will lead us right in, right on time, really, for the bonus question. And as I alluded to, earlier we talked about Jack Fisher and how he's been visiting some uh, very special kids and, and, and had an interview on this at the Seacrest studio at the Children's Hospital in Colorado. Well, the question I have is, what food do you think Jack missed most and requested... He actually requested it um, as his uh, first meal on, on the flight home from Kazakhstan to Houston. What do you think it was? And what probably got the kids laughing is how he answered this question and how specific he got about this, this answer. Because you can tell he has a passion for this very specific food. I'll wait a second and see what you think it is. And if you're wondering, it's actually pizza. Probably one of my favorite foods as well. And specifically, he said he asked for pizza on his flight home. And he said he asked for lots of meat, lots of gooey, gooey cheese, and make it greasy. And he said, boy, oh boy, was it delicious. He loved every bite of it. And I bet he did after spending all that time on board the space station, eating food out of packets and very rarely getting uh, fresh fruit and vegetables when they got a resupply cargo mission. And in case you're wondering, that food doesn't stay. They say it doesn't seem to stay uh, good very long, not as long as it does on Earth, probably because it took so long setting on board those rockets waiting to launch. Just my guess. So... There you have it. Um, That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Space News Live. Again, coming to you live right now from Helsinki, Finland, on the other side of the world, where most of y'all are probably uh, in the afternoon, just had lunch, just about to have lunch. Well, it's 9.27 p.m. right now. I'm about to go to bed and get ready for tomorrow and all the activities for Thanksgiving coming up. I hope everyone listening has a great Thanksgiving holidays with your family. Be thankful. Be thankful for everything we have in our freedom and uh, the ability to have this podcast and do things like this. Uh, I want to say thanks again for joining me. Uh, and please check out the uh, the website, spacenewslive.com, for the latest updates on the dates and times of the podcast. We try to do it every Tuesday around this time. It doesn't always happen. In fact, with the holidays... We'll see if it happens next Tuesday. I may push it back a couple days, or we may just do wait, you know, do two weeks. We'll see how it works. Again, check out spacenewslive.com. Also, check us out on Twitter, Space News Live, and the number one. 
And with that, that will do it. Until next time, we'll catch you right here on Space News Live.